Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. He ko nai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Piki mai kake mai and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ with me, Alison Balance. The viral pandemic COVID-19 has our full attention at the moment as we watch a soaring infection rate and growing number of fatalities around the world. But it's just one of a number of killers that we live with and one of the most serious, which tends to get worse in winter, is air pollution. The World Health Organization says that the combined effects of ambient or outdoor air pollution, as well as indoor household air pollution, cause about 7 million premature deaths globally every year. That's because air pollution is a major factor in stroke, heart disease, lung cancer and chronic respiratory diseases. More than 90% of the world's population lives in places where air quality levels exceed World Health Organization limits. So, what's air quality like in New Zealand? Well, to find out more, I'm off to GNS Science at Gracefield in the Hutt Valley to meet atmospheric chemist Perry Davy and physicist Bill Trompetta. Generally, in New Zealand, we have nice clean air, or at least we perceive that have nice clean uh, air in New Zealand, but that's not always the case. So, what we are interested in is finding out what air pollution is in the air and what it's made out of. You're at GNS Science, and we just better explain why you're doing air quality, because GNS Science, I think of rocks and earth and the ground. At GNS, we have accelerator-based techniques for analysing composition, and that's why we're involved in the air side of things. We're looking at the, the composition of the atmosphere. So there's gases in our atmosphere, but there's also particulate matter, is that right? That's right, yeah, fine particles. And that's probably responsible for most of the health effects in New Zealand and overseas from air pollution. So what's in the air around us? Obviously we can't see it, and you're going to explain to me later how you measure it, but uh, what's going on in the air today? Well, today it's relatively clean and clear, (laughs) but there are particles there, and there might be natural sources, sea salt, um, soil, or with that truck arriving, diesel particulates, yeah. So let's just fixate on that truck since it's stopped and is idling there nicely for us. So um, let's just jump to what that truck is giving us in the way of particulate matter, what's coming out of its tailpipe. Most of the particles produced by combustion engines are, are very fine soot and the particles can't see but they are the particles that penetrate deep into your lungs and enter your bloodstream. So what size particles are you talking about? We're talking in, down to the nanometer scale. And so the smaller it is, the bigger a problem it is? Generally, yeah. Smaller it is, the more of them there are and the more of the uh, impact on your body. What are the consequences? What is the impact? Well, ultimately death. (laughs) But there's plenty of other health effects, respiratory disease, um, heart attack, stroke. How many people a year die from air pollution? Well, that's the tricky thing, because it's very hard to point out someone in the street who's just died from air pollution, but we can do epidemiological studies, and it's been shown that in the order of 1,000, 2,000 people per year 
die from air pollution causes. Just in, in New, New Zealand. Zealand? Yeah. Worldwide, it's about 7 million. It's the fifth leading cause of death in the world. But there's also other health effects or lost impairment, people not feeling so well, having respiratory illnesses, so hospital emissions, but also lost productivity, people not feeling quite so sharp because they are being impaired by the particles that they're breathing in and those health effects from those. What are some of the natural particles that we've got in the air then at the moment? Well, we always live really close to ocean here in New Zealand, so there's always a lot of ocean uh, particulate from the ocean and sea salt, and there's also often wind-blown soil that might come from uh, trucks and motor vehicles that are generating road dust, but also wind-blown soil from, from surrounding area as well. So I can actually envisage both of those at my house because, you know, after a few days of wind, my windows are covered with salt, basically, and then my house is painted white, and every so often I go outside and realise that it's turning a shade of grey from stuff that's just blown around and stuck on the house. Exactly, <laughs> yep. Houses near busy roads turn blacker faster and that's because of the particles emitted by vehicles and road dust. So you've been doing studies of air quality around New Zealand. There must be differences between, say, central city and a suburb. Oh, so definitely, yeah. what's going on in a place like Queen Street? Because I know you're monitoring there. Yeah, in more dense urban street canyons, there's lots of motor vehicle activity, so that's producing a higher level air pollution. But you head out to the suburbs, what starts happening? Uh, you're getting away from that dense traffic and, and you're getting dispersion of the of the air pollution, so it's um, becoming less concentrated. Yes, we've monitored in quite a number of sites, and most of our air pollution problems occur during the winter. That's because it's colder and calmer, and people are using wood fires to heat their homes, so that produces a lot of smoke in the urban area. If you live in a valley where there might be entrapment of the particles, then particles can build up overnight as well, so evening time can often be a, a not-so-good time for air pollution. So what are you detecting in winter? We measure the absolute concentration but we also measure the composition so from those fires we're also picking up things like arsenic and lead and we think that the arsenic is associated with burning copper chrome arsenate treated timber and the lead is from burning old painted timber anything um, painted before 1970s would have lead paint in it you can assume i'm amazed that people are burning that much treated timber we don't think it takes that much because it's such a high concentration in the wood it doesn't take that much to generate a level in the atmosphere that we can pick up because we're picking up stuff that's billionths of a gram in concentration still enough high enough to exceed the air quality guidelines so so who is actually responsible for air quality in new zealand it's actually the regional councils and this work that we do is is in conjunction with them so they they collect the filters and then we analyze the composition and, and concentrations on their behalf and it's them that are actually trying to implement policies and to work with the community to improve the air quality around New Zealand. Our work is to help the regional councils understand the sources and how much those sources are contributing to overall air pollution and then the regional councils can then manage accordingly. Obviously in the last few months one of the big air quality issues that's been around is the fires in Australia and we've been seeing quite a lot of smoke haze coming across the Tasman from there. So, apart from that visual effect, would it actually have had an impact on the, the quality of the air that we were breathing here? Well, that's a, that's a very interesting question. We've, we've just finished um, some work for Auckland Council because they had an exceedance of their particulate matter standard in December. And we were working out where that came from and what it was composed of. 
And uh, yes, the bushfires had some influence, but there's also been a lot of dust storms in Australia over the same, same time period, generated by the same meteorological conditions. So it looks like the exceedance in Auckland was, was primarily due to, due to that uh, crustal matter component. So desert dust, yeah. Now there is, the, of course, the question of whether the air quality is better inside or outside. So I might use that as our cue to actually let's go inside and let's go to the lab and we can both see where you work and how you do what you do and then we can chat about air quality on the way. Cool, sounds good. There we go. So we've stepped into an air-conditioned, cool corridor. Uh, what do you reckon the air quality's like in here? Well... The air quality we know from our measurements is very similar to what's happening outside in terms of the smaller particles. The larger particles somewhat less in concentration, but we know that the very fine particles occur inside with the same concentration as outdoors. And is that worse in old houses that are leakier and draftier? To a certain extent, because the thing is that even the new houses which have a higher air tightness they still have to be ventilated from the outside. Um, And it's interesting that in Australia, the advice that they're actually giving to the Australians is to stay inside while the bushfires are happening, and particularly to maybe go to a a shopping centre or a a building which has got a a filtered air intake. So there there is an opportunity to have the very fine particles uh, to be filtered out of the air, and so they they might be better protected. Oh, okay. If in doubt, go shopping. Yes, definitely. (laughs) There's some air quality advice, people. So where have we come to? We have come to uh, the area where we have our particle accelerator, and this is the control room where we control the experiments or the measurements that we have for the individual filters. It's full of machines that look quite complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, the accelerator was actually installed here uh, in the early 1960s, but it's been updated all, all over that, that time, so it's still very functional and works well for us. So you mentioned outdoors that you collect filters, so you're basically filtering the air at a site and then you're bringing those filters back here to analyse? Yeah, that's right. And so we put them in front of the beam from the accelerator and we use that particle beam to give us the uh, elemental concentrations in those filters. Can you explain that a bit more to me? The particle beam, as it impacts onto the air pollution particles, there's all sorts of interactions that happen, like including X-rays, gamma rays, and scattered particles. And we can use each of those interactions to determine the composition, the elemental composition, and the concentration of each of those elements on the filter. And then Perry, he's the chemist, he does uh, source apportionment on those concentrations and turns those, those concentrations into what the sources are. Yeah, that's right. So from that, from that data, we can, we can then provide the advice to the regional councils of what the biggest bang for their buck in terms of policy improvements for air quality. So are we seeing any improvements in air quality? Let's just go back to that outside air quality again. Uh, we are, actually, yeah. We have a long-term study with Auckland Council that's been going for about 14 years now, and uh, we can see from that long-term data that particles from motor vehicles, for instance, is coming down from tailpipe emissions. That's due to engine technology improvements, and emission improvements, tailpipe improvements of cars, so that, that's really improved over the, over the last 10 years. And that's despite the fact that the number of vehicles is going up? That's right, yeah. So even though the number of vehicles in New Zealand still continues to rise, we're almost at one light-duty vehicle for every man, woman and child at the moment. But we can see it starting to plateau now as that 
number of vehicles starts to outweigh those um, technology improvements. But most of that improvement is coming for the diesel vehicles rather than the petrol ones? That's right. Petrol vehicles don't actually produce very many particles because of the type of um, combustion engine they are. They produce gases, of course, but that's not something that you're measuring. No, they do produce gases. I mean, all the, all these, all the vehicles, anything using fossil fuel is producing carbon dioxide, and that's the, the main contributor to climate change. You'd hope then that there'd be a, a similar increase in air quality in the inside of houses, particularly those that are next to busy roads, for example. Well, that's right. So even though the combustion particulates are, are, are decreasing, we still get the, the dust the road dust component that are coming from the roads, as well as the combustion particles that are still being made, uh, are still making their way in, indoors. So what's on that road dust? Basically whatever's landed on the road from the tailpipe and whatever's produced from the abrasion of wheels and the road surface and brakes. So we see things like copper and zinc and antimony and barium as part of that mix sounds revolting. <laughs> it doesn't sound very healthy. And the thing about the road dust component, that is increasing in line with the increase in traffic volume. Well, let's just have a theoretical walk around a house. So this morning I got up, I started off obviously in my bedroom. So what do we know about air quality inside New Zealand houses, in particular inside bedrooms? Well, it's interesting that you mention a bedroom first because it really depends on whether you slept with your door shut or open during the evening. If you closed your bedroom door and your air in your bedroom is relatively airtight, then the CO2 levels could have uh, climbed quite substantially during the evening because you're breathing into a, a closed volume. And we know from a few studies, or a few, we've done a handful of home studies, that the, the CO2 concentrations can build up to over 3,000 parts per million. It would affect people's cognitive ability at those high levels. If you're waking up groggy in the morning, then you may, you may need to think about opening your window <laughs> rather than getting more sleep. <laughs> oh, interesting. And so then I go from the bedroom, I go via the bathroom. That's obviously just going to be hot and steamy from, the, from having a shower. Correct. Um, I arrive in my kitchen. What's the story with air quality in kitchens? So from our study and also what studies overseas, it's been shown that the largest contribution inside a home is actually from the kitchen. Particularly if you're frying up, if you're doing a fry up for breakfast, then that's going to be really high uh, particle concentrations, not only in your kitchen but the rest of your house as well. A lot higher than what we're seeing outdoor concentrations. So the kitchen's the most dangerous place when it comes to air quality? In terms of air quality, that's correct. So your advice, just as much ventilation as you can have? For sure. Turn on the extractor fan and maybe even open a window as well, particularly on the stovetop. And what about in the lounge? In the lounge, we have seen from our study that dust is re-entrained when people are moving around a house. We've seen that in some of the school studies that we've done as well inside a few of the classrooms, that when you've got people inside a room, that the soil that's uh, on a carpet or on a, on a floor surface can be re-entrained by the occupants. So you do get dust or soil components in the air quality inside a lounge or any room. Is vacuuming or sweeping a good idea? Well, uh, you want to keep the dust levels or soil levels uh, to a minimum on a carpet. So, so shoes off at the door? Oh, that would help. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, we would like to do a study, actually, to show that. Yeah, we haven't done that yet. You mentioned the classrooms and this, this idea that kids running around are stirring up a lot of dirt within the classroom. What other things in classrooms have you looked at? What other things have you measured? 
Well, for classrooms, we saw that there was infiltration from outdoors, outdoors sources. So the source from within the classroom was primarily just soil that's been entrained into the classroom from people's footwear. And then it was infiltration from outside. So the schools that were near a busy road, they had a high level of vehicle particulates inside their classroom. And then if we saw sea salt inside the classroom. We saw soil as well that was associated with the outdoor activities as well. Is anybody responsible for actually measuring the indoor air quality? That's a very good question. Indoor air quality, no. Uh, We mentioned before that the regional councils are responsible for outdoor air quality, but there's no government department has a mandate to be responsible for indoor air quality or to promote good messages about how we should keep a good air quality inside our homes or buildings or workplaces. There is a group, not only from us from GNS, but also from Otago University, Massey, and brands as well that are doing, trying to do some science around this. But what we need is support from a government department to, to really bring home that message more strongly. From the information that you've so far gathered from classrooms, what would your advice be for a, for a teacher in a classroom for optimising the air quality? Uh, certainly to, to ventilate because CO2 levels can build up in a classroom as well. Uh, the Ministry of Education is looking to, to monitor CO2 levels in a classroom, so that's great. But also ventilation not only reduces the CO2 levels, but will also reduce any particles, uh, soil particles or, or entrainment from the kids' activity within the classroom as well. So ventilation could help the kids' cognitive ability, yes. And I imagine ventilation might be something that you'd want to think very carefully about if you actually have a modern, well-sealed home. You're exactly, because if your uh, home or your classroom is well sealed, you're, gonna not be, you're not going to have that natural ventilation that would happen in a draftier house or classroom. All of this is good ammunition for me for opening the, all the doors and windows every morning for a little while. <laughs> yes, that's the message, yes. So I think one of the things that's surprised me most in this conversation is that thing about people burning treated and painted wood. That, that would seem like a no-brainer, but clearly some people are still doing it. Exactly, and while the regional councils are trying to get that message out, we're still seeing a persistent burning of that treated wood and, and uh, old painted timber, which is producing that arsenic and lead across New Zealand. So if you've got a wood burner or even still an open fire in your lounge, that's bad news when it comes to your indoor air quality? More the community's air quality. So that particulate from that wood, wood burner will go outside, but then it makes its way back inside. It will leak inside as well. I've shown that wood burners do leak inside, so whatever you're burning in your wood burner will leak into your lounge and then disposing of the ash if it's, it'll be heavily contaminated with copper, chrome, arsenic, lead and then putting it in your garden is another exposure route from, you know especially if you're growing vegetables, you'll be eating vegetables laced with arsenic and lead And that is exacerbated if you live in a community which where the air particulate can build up outside. So if you live in a valley, particularly a valley floor, then those particulate will, will build up a lot more than if you're in a more windier urban location. And in that windless environment, you might be just actually suffering the fact that your neighbour has a wood fire and they're the ones burning the treated timber. Entirely. There's questions of environmental justice. That's right. So people still have to stay warm um, in their homes uh, and maybe a wood fire is the only way that they can, can do that. It's, so in time, we, we're trying to get the message out that going to cleaner forms of heat is a good thing. Thanks, Bill. That was physicist Bill Trompetta, and I was also talking with atmospheric chemist Perry Davey 
and they are both with GNS Science. I'm Alison Balance in this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ First Ed on the 26th of March 2020. You can listen again on our webpage rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. While you're there, sign up for our free weekly email newsletter. Our Changing World is of course available on your favourite podcast app. And next time you're in the market for some new podcasts, just search for RNZ and you'll find a very wide range of stuff. As always, if you are able to rate and review us, we really appreciate it. Many thanks. Stay in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter at RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Take care and do keep washing your hands with soap. Catch you next time. Kia pai tora.